0: Thursday, July 30th, and you're tuned in to the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, flying solo today. Hoynesy's got the day off, but uh, the Indians are four and two after their first home stand of the season, losing Wednesday's series finale against the White Sox four to nothing, despite a eight scoreless inning effort by Zach Plesac. Brad Hand and Adam Simber couldn't get the job done in the ninth inning as Hand allowed a, a leadoff double to Tim Anderson and eventually loaded the bases before a sack fly by Yasmani Grandal and a three-run single by rookie Luis Robert off Simber gave the White Sox the eventual margin of victory 4-0 as they were tied going into the ninth inning. The loss shouldn't dampen the effort of Cleveland's starting rotation as Friday the Indian starters have been, uh, since Friday the Indian starters have been one of the biggest storylines in baseball. We're going to get into all that and more in the next 20 minutes as we sort of break down what happened on Wednesday take some of your questions and look ahead to the big series in Minnesota starting this weekend. First, let's hear from manager Terry Francona and these are his remarks to the media immediately following Wednesday's game.
1: Well I mean you can't give up a you know the first pitch double so the game because it's a tie game you know everything's kind of magnified we get a. Hit, you know, we get a hit batsman in the foot, then we get a catcher's interference on a, a late swing, you know, and just – and then it, it just kind of escalated from there. Just couldn't put it out. Just didn't want Brad to throw a, a bunch of pitches after we had given up the lead. That was the reason. And Adam had already been warmed up.
2: Tito, what did you think of Sec and what he was able to do tonight?
1: I thought he was tremendous. And I know it was really hard to see for about the first five, six innings. But both pitchers kind of matched each other. And act, he pounded the strike zone. He changed speeds. He was efficient. He was tremendous. So was their guy. Tito, Tito was he changing speeds more than usual, or was that the usual blend with him? Um, I, I don't know the percentage. I thought he threw really good off-speed pitches. I mean, the ones he threw his change-ups and break a ball, they were quality. I agree with that. Tito, with hand, is there any concern about just his mile per hour? Or are you think the velocity will come as, as you guys go right now? Well, yesterday, I mean, when he pitched yesterday, he was 92, 93. That gun up there is not; it's whatever it's registering. It's about a tick or two slow. So I mean, it's it, that part's coming. It just that's not the end all be all. You know, you're looking for life or for for get to get some swinging miss or some. You know, just there's so much trust in him as a competitor that we just sometimes you gotta you gotta be patient even when it's not easy.
0: Okay, that was Terry Francona on Zach Plesac and what went wrong with Brad Hand there in the ninth inning, uh, including Wednesday's start by Plesac. Cleveland's first st- six starters have all pitched at least six innings while allowing two runs or fewer to start the season. The Indians are just the sixth team to accomplish that feat, joining Atlanta in 1993, San Diego in 1986, Cincinnati way back in 1919, and the 1905 Cleveland Naps. That that rotation included Otto Hess, Addy Joss, Otto Hess again, Earl Moore, and Bob Rhodes. So those were the, uh, the first six guys in the rotation uh, at that time in the season, and they allowed Two or fewer runs in their first six outings uh, that lasted six innings or more. Uh, pretty good company for those Indian starters this year, uh, including Shane Beaver, Mike Clevenger, uh, Adam Plutko, Aaron Savali, and, and now, of course, Zach Plesak. It's just the second time in Indians history that the club has registered six straight starts of six innings or more, two fewer two or fewer runs. Uh, that's the, the 1948 uh, squad, including Satchel Paige, Steve Gromek, Bob Feller, Bob Lemon, Gene Bearden, and Sam Zlotic. That streak ended when Satchel Paige actually had to uh, start again on August 20th against Chicago back in '48, tossing a complete game shutout. So the Indians have recorded 72 strikeouts through these first six games, the most by an Indian, Indians pitching staff all time in, a, in that first six game stretch. And that's more than the 1966 team's 67 punch outs through the first six games of the year. Here's what Zach Plesak had to say about his outing and about uh, you know pitching as part of this rotation and what it means to him.
3: I felt like I just had a good game plan of what I was trying to do with each pitch, You know where I wanted to miss, where I was trying to execute, where the out was. Um... I think me and Bo really had a good game plan put together before the game. We were on the same page. I think I only shook a few times. And, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun to pitch tonight. The
2: sixth inning, you give up the leadoff, double the angle, and you got the top of their order coming up. Just what went through your mind and what got you through that inning the way you got through it? Uh, I was just really trying to
3: attack. Uh, I didn't want to try and nitpick too much with pitches, you know, as the top of the lineup was coming back coming back around so when that happened I knew I had to lock back in and and you know face up with their their of the lineup so really it's just you know bring that focus back to executing good pitches and keeping the ball down in the zone. When you start a game at six
2: o'clock at this ballpark knowing what the sun is out and the shadow the shadows is that playing anything in your game plan or do you not even worry about the shadows or anything else?
3: No, I really don't. I'm really just making sure I'm not sweating through my jersey too much before the game. Uh, But other than that, I mean, when you're out there, you know, I don't really notice anything um, besides a catcher and just go to work.
2: Zach, how much you are you guys as starters just kind of feeding off of each other? It's been one really good performance after next to start the season.
0: Yeah,
3: that's exactly what we're doing. I mean, I, I think we're just really having a healthy competitive rotation and this group of guys really put the work in, you know, and they really are smart about what they're doing and what they want to do when when it's their turn to take the mound. And each time I watch all my boys throw days before me, it hypes me up and it gets me ready to pitch when I'm ready. So, um, really, it's just I get super excited watching them throw, look to learn off those guys. We all, you know, team up and work together to make each other better. And It's just really a fun group.
1: Zach, how frustrating is that to to pitch as well as you did in – and and the team loses and you don't get a decision
3: i mean you know at the end of the day it's control you can control you know i think we were up there we were fighting you know we had a chance at the end and you know i was just really focused on doing my part and putting us in position to to be in a ball game you know let let those guys do what they do um so really it was you know me just doing my part and you know it was a team game um be putting in the same effort next time no matter what the scores.
1: Were you throwing more off-speed stuff tonight than you usually do or, I mean, compared to last year?
3: I think compared to last year, yeah. Um, As of what I'm used to, I think as of late, I've really been working on those pitches um, just through even spring training and, you know, through the quarantine. So I have a lot of confidence built up in them. I have a really good idea with what I want to do with them. And um, compared to last year, I think they've definitely sharpened up more and I have a better feel for each pitch.
0: Okay, as pleased as Francona should be about this pitching rotation and the starters, there are two areas that uh, should be a pretty significant concern right now. The back end of the bullpen has been shaky at best, and the offense really hasn't produced the kind of numbers that Francona had hoped for through the first six games. First, let's take a look at the bullpen. Brad Hand. He's pitched in three games, and he's given up runs in each of his last two appearances. His fastball really doesn't seem to have that sort of life that Francona talks about all all the time, uh, that that zip to it. Uh, He was sitting about 92-93 on Tuesday in the first game of the doubleheader. Uh, Teams are just sitting on his slider right now, and Hand had talked in summer camp about developing and working on a curveball in order to give hitters Uh, something else to think about while they're in the box. But right now isn't exactly the best time to be tinkering with something like uh, an an extra pitch, a changeup or a curveball. So here's what Brad Hand had to say after Wednesday's outing and and what went wrong. Brad, just can you go through that ninth inning and just where things kind of went left for you?
4: Yeah. I mean, obviously it was a leadoff double. Um, and then I kind of got myself in that, that own trouble with the walk and then they hit my pitch um, with nobody out. I mean, um, trying to get a strike out there with the sack fly and then um, kind of fell apart right there.
1: You've been doing this a long time. Was, is there a difference between pitching with, in a safe situation and coming in with, with a tie score, scoreless game?
4: No, I mean, it's no different. Every time you're going out there, you're trying to put up a zero. Um, You know, regardless of the score, if you're pitching in a 10-run ball game, you're still trying to put up a zero. Um, You know, obviously, right there, trying to keep the game 0-0, give us a chance to win it in the bottom of the ninth.
0: Right with the the awkward ramp-up period and summer camp and just how this season has played out, is it difficult for relievers to kind of find their rhythm early in the season just because it's so atypical from
3: what you guys are used to and – you know you're only working one inning it's not like you're a starter and you have chances to you know figure things out as you go I mean I wouldn't say it's necessarily
4: different I mean obviously starting the season in uh late July I mean that's what everybody was working with uh during the quarantine or whatever we were all working hard to you know be ready for for this because we knew the time was going to come so I mean I think we did a good job as a pitching staff all around of everybody being ready um you know, we knew the circumstances were going to be different throughout the course of this year. Um, you know, it's just something we're going to have to deal with. Do
2: you feel like your stuff is where it would be – can you compare this to, like, April or compare this – you know what I mean? Like, is it like it is on of spring training, or where is it at for you right now?
4: I mean, it's tough to tell, obviously, because it is July. Um, you know, but I feel, I mean, good as, as, as I would if we were just leaving spring training. So, um, you know, I did – was ready to go uh, coming into the summer camp and the season. So I feel like my stuff's ready. I mean, obviously today um, I, don't, I only gave up for one hit. I kind of put myself in that jam. It's not like I was getting hit around. It's just, you know, some things happened and, um, you know, put myself in that own jam.
2: Hey Brad, I know you're part of that bullpen and, you're, you know, you're concerned about your own performance and such, but what can you say about this starting group and, and this run that, that, that the Indians have been on to start the season?
4: Yeah, I mean, it just says a lot about what everybody did when they went home during the, you know, layoff that we had, Um, you know, for our guys to be able to like Zach today being able to um, go eight innings in his his first outing of the year. Like that's unheard of. Like even if we were to be starting in April, uh, you probably wouldn't see many starters going eight innings. So it just goes to show like the work that, you know, he put in during that time to be able to, you know, prepare and to be able to go eight innings his first start, even though it is July.
0: As far as the offense goes, we're, we're looking at Jose Ramirez and, and really not much else. Francisco Lindor and Carlos Santana are, are off to slow starts, and Fran Mill Reyes has been a big question mark. You know, he'll, he'll hit every now and then, but uh, he's not the same guy who was showing up hitting tape measure shots in spring training back in Arizona after that four-month layoff where he really didn't get to see a lot of live pitching when he went back to the Dominican Republic. Uh, kind of like what you've seen with Cesar Hernandez in the leadoff spot, but the whole reason for moving Francisco Lindor down was to give him uh, an opportunity to drive in more runs, and that's really not happening right now. Uh, Frankona is notorious for sticking with his veteran guys as long as he possibly can, so we'll see how that works out uh, in a sixty-game season. And you're going to hear this so much: how much you know wins are worth? What two point. Five or two point seven wins, as opposed to what they what it feels like when you you win a game in a one hundred sixty two game season. uh and and really, you know, there's going to be a sense of urgency to shake up the lineup at some point if these Indians don't start hitting. And they're they're heading into a series this weekend where offense is is going to be necessary against a a Minnesota club that that can hit the ball out of the ballpark one through nine. All right, let's jump into some questions from our listeners. The exclusive way to get your questions read on our podcast is via subtext. You can subscribe to subtext for three ninety nine dollars a month at cleveland.com slash subtext. Just uh, scroll down to the Indians tab, uh, tab where you see Hoinsey's face, and you can uh, click on that and get, you know, get subscribed and, and get text messages and have conversations with both myself and Hoinsey via subtext. Or you can sign up by sending a text to 216-208-4346. All right, our first question comes to us from Dave in Worcester, Massachusetts. Uh, Dave actually watched the game last night. Uh, He saw, and and these are his words, not mine. uh, As I watch the horrendous Brad Hand implode again, I must ask, will Tito finally realize that in the 2020 sprint he cannot allow Guys like Hand and his other obsession, Adam Simber, to ever pitch in leverage situations before they cost the team the season. I mean, Hand doesn't even finish his terrible pitches anymore. Uh, he gives – and David goes on to give Tito credit for getting rid of Jake Bowers at some point. So, uh, so really, this is uh, David from Worcester, Massachusetts, who should be a, a Red Sox fan, right? Um complaining about Tito sticking with the guys who who really got him there Brad hand has a track record is a proven guy is a veteran who uh, can close games and and Tito had said all along throughout this this spring training part two reboot that Brad hand might be one of those guys who needs the the bright lights and needs the needs the switch to be flipped on before he he sort of gets that adrenaline boost and and, and realizes hey this is Uh, you know, it's, it's go time now. Uh, So I think he's, he's probably going to stick with hand as long as hand is healthy, as long as the arm doesn't show any signs of, of injury or, and his velocity is is there. He's going to give him a time to work into that. Um, I I don't see any moves being made, but, but you do have, you do have an option. You do have an option or two uh, with guys behind him to close out games uh, I don't know if you necessarily want to put James Karinchak in that position right now. He's done it in the minors, but you know, major league uh, hitters are a little bit different. And if you want to put James Karinchak out on the mound uh, in a in a high leverage situation, a one run game in the ninth inning, uh, you better be able to live with James Karinchak walking a guy or two. Uh, yeah, he's going to strike out his fair share with that awesome curveball that he has, but. He's also going to put guys on base because right now his, his fastball command is not pinpoint. All right. Our next question comes from Pat from Painesville. Says it's great to finally see the tribe in action. He hasn't missed a pitch either on TV or on the radio. Uh, and he's going to offer a suggestion right now on the fan noise. Please turn it down. It drowns out the play-by-play and, and the calls by the umpires on the field. It's much too loud, says Pat from Painesville. Uh, especially for those of us with hearing aids who can't tell between background noise on uh, the consistent level. Uh, he, he says he doesn't need silence, but dial it down a few decibels. I can tell you this uh, from being at a few of these games. Uh, from the press box, you really, you can hear the, the crowd noise, but you, it's not overwhelming. It's definitely not what it would be like if the ballpark were full of fans. But on the field, it is it, it's it's pretty overwhelming. You can they've got it cranked up pretty good, uh, and part of that is to deal with the, the your ability to hear everything that these players are saying. Uh, right now, I've I've heard numerous uh, f bombs and tirades by players. Uh, Carlos Rodon from the White Sox uh, in the second game of the doubleheader on Tuesday uh, was slamming things after the first inning and and was not pleased with his effort. So. He let loose a couple of choice words. Uh, the one thing I would hope on, we've got the the potential matchup coming up next Wednesday of Mike Clevenger and Trevor Bauer when the Reds come to town to open a two-game series uh, at Progressive Field. And that's what we want to hear. We want to hear Clevenger and Trevor Bauer uh, going back and forth with each other because that's that is just baseball gold if we can get it. So, Pat, I understand your frustration uh, a little bit, but I think the crowd noise is necessary to be pumped in there. Uh, and hopefully they, 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 they may even turn it down a little bit just so we can hear Clev and, and Trevor go back and forth because that would be a lot of fun, especially for those of us who followed uh, Trevor for so many years when he was with Cleveland. All right. Uh, next question comes from Buzz Harvey from Cleveland. And he wants to know, why not make each baseball stadium its own bubble, put a bed in all the suites, and make the teams stay each series entirely in the stadium? The stadiums already have restaurants. Why not? So Buzz Harvey trying to think outside the box and protect the players, I guess, uh, after the the Marlins uh, maybe sort of violated their bubble uh, over the weekend. And that's why we have this situation now with 14 players testing positive for uh, coronavirus and COVID-19, uh, I, I don't think it works that way. I did see that the, the Red Sox turned their luxury suites into individual locker rooms for each of the players. Uh, but, again, you're talking about shower facilities and upkeep, and you're not going to put beds in, a, uh, in, in, the, in the ballpark and, and have the players stay. I don't think that is necessarily the answer. Uh, these guys have to be able to go home and see their families. Uh, and that's, you know, part of what uh, the, the agreement between the Players Association and the league was that, you know, they would be able to see their families. They wouldn't have to go to Arizona or go to uh, Florida or Texas, as was originally discussed. If you think about that, or, you know, months ago, we were talking about and contemplating whether a bubble system would work like the NBA has, and we were going to put a bubble in Florida. Or <laughs> the way things are going right now, Florida is the last place that anybody would, would want to be uh, with this coronavirus uh, spiking right now. Uh, good effort there, buzz trying to, to think outside the box, but I, I don't think a bubble in each stadium would be uh, ideal for the players for, uh, for a number of reasons, but uh, you know, who knows uh, maybe, maybe heck you've got Toronto's got a hotel right there. I guess the, but he, <laughs> The Blue Jays aren't even allowed in Canada, so um, that, that probably won't work. Uh, all right, last question comes from Jim from Cleveland, and Jim says he really likes the cardboard cutouts of the fans in the stands and the piped-in crowd noise and all the Indians, uh, you know, getting back, back to action. He, he wants us to make a suggestion to Sandy Alomar, and that is the next time he grabs a foul ball at first base – that he tosses it into the stands to one of the cardboard cutout fans. He thinks that it would get a good laugh and might even make it on the Sports Center. Well, I guess that's the goal, isn't it, to be on Sports Center all the time? Uh, yeah, Jim, I I think it'd make a great moment. However, the the one problem is the uh, the stands are now surrounded by uh, netting from foul pole to foul poles uh, as a as a protection for the fans. That would have been in the stands in 2020 had the coronavirus not hit. Uh, Now Sandy Alomar would have to throw a ball over the net to a fan, uh, and if he's trying to hit one of those cardboard cutouts, uh, yeah, it it probably wouldn't work. I, I did find it interesting they don't have ball boys on the field now for foul balls down the line. So every time a ball gets hit foul down the left field or right field line, the stadium attendant. Who is sitting in the photo bay has to jump out, run down the line, get the ball, and then jump back into the stands in uh, by the gap at the end of the uh, the netting by, by the foul pole at the end of the, the field. So it actually has led to some some minor, not real uh, delays, but they have to wait for the next pitch before that that stadium worker gets off the field. It's not they don't have ball boys sitting on stools down the foul line like they usually do. So uh, that's a change. Uh, the netting is, has caused you know a, a little bit of adjustment there. But uh, again, and and I don't even know if uh, if Sandy is allowed to even field those ground balls anymore. But per the the MLB regulations, uh, you know they want the fewest people possible touching uh, each ball, fair or foul. So. Uh, I do know that each each set of balls that are used has to get quarantined for five days after each use. So that's a, another interesting thing. Uh, you know, the, the game balls that get put aside and get recycled into batting practice balls, those have to go into quarantine for five days at least before they can get used. Uh, I'd heard somewhere that they would normally use uh, 12 dozen balls in a game, and now they, they're they using up to 24 to 25 you know dozen baseballs per game. Which should make the folks at Rawlings pretty happy. All right, guys, that will just about wrap it up for this edition of the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. Uh, We will be back with you again, talking with Hoynesy, after uh, Thursday's series opener in in Minnesota, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you again here on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast.